Hello, and welcome into another episode of the Lion's Lair. I'm your host, John Sauber, and I am joined once again by Kyle J. Andrews. Kyle, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, as always. Um, really, I mean, this is this has been a crazy day when it really comes have. to college football and college sports in general. I mean, it could change the whole landscape, but we'll get to that later. And yeah. first of all, you know, of course, we got to talk about Penn State. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to the the potential conference realignment that seems to never end, uh, which I, is one of my favorite things. I know it's one of your favorite things. Uh, but I am I am actually out here in Indianapolis. We are we are, you know, not far away from Big Ten Media Days. They start tomorrow. We're recording this Wednesday. Uh, Big Ten Media Days start Thursday, continuing to Friday. Penn State, of course. We'll have James Franklin speaking uh, Thursday, along with PJ Musker, Tariq Castro-Fields, and Jahan Dotson. So it's going to be interesting to see what those guys have to say. We'll, we'll have you know a bunch of stories up on the media days and, and what what you know happens, uh, what gets said by opponents of the Big Ten, what gets said by those guys. So be sure to you know check out CenterDaily.com for all the coverage of that. But I'm out here in Indianapolis. Uh, in case the sound sounds a little different this episode. But, we are going to dive deep into the linebackers in the secondary today as we wrap up the depth chart breakdown of, of uh, the entire roster. Uh, we, you know, this is sort of the sign that the offseason has come to an end, right? We are we are finishing up the depth chart breakdowns, finishing up the last the last two position groups, and, and then it's full fledged into into uh, fall practice, and you know, then into the season. It's it's tough to believe we're almost here, but you know, let's get this thing rolling with linebacker. Uh, Obviously, no Micah Parsons, but there was no Micah Parsons last year either because he sat out. So how do you feel about this group as a whole and, and what it can do this year for Penn State? I mean, I think I think it's a strong group still. I mean, Brandon Smith, of course, you know, he, he's going to plug and play. And the fact that, you know, he's played in 22 games already and, you know, started all nine last season. I mean, he has the experience. You don't necessarily need to worry about him. Um, Ellis Brooks, of course, redshirt senior, he's he's in there. And I think that, of course, when we talk about Curtis Jacobs, I mean, I've seen what Curtis can do for years at this point, you know, and I think his talent, he's only scratching the surface of what he can do. We got to remember that last year he was a true freshman. Um, you know, he I mean, Curtis is one of the most vert- versatile guys that I've seen play linebacker at any level let alone, you know, the fact that he's at Penn State. I mean, this guy played – I know high school is different. We always talk about that. But, like, the fact that this guy was a wide receiver, then he asked his coach, he was like, hey, I want to play safety. But then they were like, okay, well, we'll let you play a little bit of corner. Then he goes and plays, you know, outside linebacker. And then he goes to middle linebacker. Then he goes down to defensive end. And then he's playing interior defensive line. And like, he could play – He's played every single position on the defensive side of the ball in high school. And then, like, even at Penn State, they use him in, a, in kind of that Swiss Army knife role where, you know, you can move him inside or outside at will. And I think that's that's only going to make him a better player, especially going forward. I mean, I, I think the, the kid has so much talent. He has so much to offer on a defensive side of the football. And, you know, it's it's going to be interesting. Um, just to see what what he can uh, what he can accomplish because I mean his upside is ridiculous, you know he has a ton of up- upside and you know who knows maybe he could be the next great defensive player that Penn State has so I'm I'm willing I'm willing to bet on the fact that you know Curtis Jacobs is going to be a, a gigantic contributor to this defense this year. Yeah, and, and I think that's where 
this sort of starts with this defense because you kind of know what you're going to get in Ellis Brooks. There are some limitations there, especially in coverage. Uh, not not the most quick guy laterally. Uh, you know, is is pretty decisive and gets downhill in the running game, but occasionally missed tackles there too. So you you know you're getting some uh, some decent play out of Ellis Brooks with a little upside for more, especially if you can improve that athleticism with Brandon Smith. You're getting the freakish athleticism, the freakish length, the freakish speed, a guy you, you want blitzing a little bit more. Uh, the way Penn State uses what I would call their Sam linebackers, it's a guy that blitzes more. Uh, you know, Michael Parsons was in that role. Koa Farmer was in it previously. It's a guy they bring off the edge quite a bit. A guy they sort of like freelance a little bit more. Um, there's less like, there are less uh, responsibilities, I guess is how I would describe it. Uh, from what I've seen from watching the play in the past is, that, that position generally has a little bit more leeway to do what they want. And Brandon Smith definitely falls into that group because of his, his ability to just be a sort of a, uh, a, a heat-seeking missile toward the ball, right? Like he, he goes and finds the football and he makes a play on it, whether it's the run game or the passing game. He has the, the athleticism to turn and chase and, and man coverage. Uh, he's not going to get beat by many tight ends or running backs. You can, you can play him a little bit in the spot. You can play him a little bit in zone. Uh, hope his instincts take over in the zone. Uh, but you're right, this this kind of hinges on Curtis Jacobs because I think at this point he is he is the clear-cut third best option at linebacker. Now, the the real question is when they go to their their uh their nickel package and they bring that fifth defensive back on the field, that star position, right? That safety corner hybrid that they tend to use, who's staying on the field? I, I would bet Brandon Smith is one of those two linebackers. Early on, you would you would think Ellis Brooks because of the experience, but by the end of the year, it's hard to count out Curtis Jacobs as that second linebacker because unlike the Sam, that the Willie would want him playing more in space and playing more, uh, dropping more in coverage, operating more in a confined role that is also – confined maybe isn't the right word, a more defined role, I guess, uh, where he's allowed to make plays on the ball and everything, but he's still – you know, not not just sort of freelancing out there. Uh, and Curtis Jacobs could excel in that. Like you said, you saw it in the high school tape. When I watched him, he was an elite pass rusher. He was an elite cover safety. He, you know, he could play the deep third of the field and was was excellent at tracking the ball in the air and going up and attacking it. And those were his wide receiver skills at play there. Uh, and, and so he was he was excelling in coverage. He was excelling as a pass rusher. He was excelling against the run. Again, it's high school football. It's got to translate. Last year, we started to see it translate. Uh, so I think I think Jacobs is kind of the guy that could define this position group for Penn State. He may not be the next great linebacker because that might be Brandon Smith, who is already in line. But if if there's one right after Smith, it could be Jacobs, and he could be rivaling Smith pretty quickly. Um, with those two on the field, it is just ridiculous athleticism, uh, ridiculous ability to make plays on the ball and to to just operate in space. Um, I mean, it's it's hard not to be optimistic about how this group would perform just because of what those guys have shown, even though it's not the most, um, it's not the deepest position for Penn State right now. Uh, I, I, you look at the backups, Jesse Wakeda is one of the prime guys, and he's probably going to play a lot of defensive end. You know, he he cross-trained there in, in spring ball. James Franklin said that he was practicing at, uh, at defensive end as an edge, and, and if he's doing that, it's tough to play. You know, it's, it's probably going to be tough to get used to playing in space again. Charlie Katzer hasn't been able to stay healthy. Tyler Elton's completely unproven. Kobe King is, is a true freshman is unproven. So while the, the upside of the, the top group, especially those two linebackers and Brandon Smith is, and Curtis Jacobs is extremely high, everything past that gets a little bit more iffy. Yeah, and I would, I would, t I would definitely tend to agree with you on that. 
just based off of the fact that like one, I mean, you have, <laughs> it was a lot of guys that did not play as much as you, you know, you would have hoped last year because they had so much experience at those positions. And I, I think that now you have a situation where these guys can cut their teeth, but you know, if you want to compete for this uh, big 10 East, um, you know, you can't just have guys that are just cutting their teeth. You need some experience. Um, so for, for them, my, my thought process is this, you know, how much are you expecting these guys to, to compete this year? You know, those backups, if, if something were to happen, how, 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 I mean, I want to say like, how much do you expect to see the backups accomplish when guys are getting ready to go? So, I mean, like, are, are they, if, if somebody goes down, do you trust those guys? And I think Lakeda, you know, to me, I, 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 I would trust him more than others, you know, and I, yeah. I think that's where they have to, you know, kind of figure that out at. Yeah. And, and I think with trusting Lakeda comes with, again, some, some switches, right. You, you have to move him back to linebacker full time because it's again, cross training helps. It, it puts you in a position where you can play both spots efficiently but if, if he's going to play defensive end, he has the size to do it. He's probably going to want to bulk up a little bit more. And if he bulks up a little bit more, he's going to lose some of that lateral quickness. And then you don't want him playing in space as much. And then, you know, it sort of snowballs into he's not as good of a linebacker as he once was because he's focusing on being a defensive end. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 I question the depth of this group. Uh, I don't question the talent of the depth. I, I think, you know, Catcher is a guy who, who had plenty of upside coming in, needed to – needed to gain a little bit of weight uh, and put on some strength, but, you know, he, he was still uh, worthy of, of being taken by Penn state. Um, and, and I would say Kobe King and Tyler Elson were as well, but they're, they're limited to the middle. So we'll see sort of what, what those guys can become. Uh, King and Elson have to improve in the middle of the field. They, they, they have to just be better from that standpoint. They have to, you know, get better uh, laterally and I'm sure they will they're, they're both very young it's it, it would be completely unfair to put those expectations on them and do that that quickly but they might have to play pretty quickly and I think that's where things can sort of get uh not get messy but get a little bit questionable pretty quickly with the linebackers it's going to come down to the experience uh of the backups how well they can play how much they can contribute uh it remains to be seen how much that is at all um the starters though, like we both said, should be there for, um, should be in the game quite a bit and should be playing really well when they're in the game. And that is, that is an, an undoubted bright spot on this defense, uh, but probably not as much of a bright spot as potentially the best defensive player on Penn State's roster. And that's Jaquan Brisker at safety, who leads, um, again, it's, a, it's another position group that doesn't have a ton of depth, but at the top, the very top in this instance, the, the one safety spot, it might be as good as it gets in the country. And I think that's a positive sign. But but again, your synopsis of, of what this group looks like uh, for the 2021 season. Of course, Jaquan Brisker, you know, I, I think he's as sure of a thing that you're going to get at the safety position, especially in college. You know, I think one thing about guys like him, you know, the fact that he's going to be able to break up passes He's going to be able to get up in your grill, cause some problems for whether that be receivers or tight ends going across the middle. And that's something that you love to see from a from a safety. You know, a, your prototypical safety 
is going across the middle, dislodging the ball from even the bigger the bigger slot guys. So when when I look at guys like Jaquan Brisker, I, I just think he does so many things well, and I definitely think he'll be a pro uh, coming up soon. So you know that's that's one thing that you have to be excited for. If if Penn State fans are watching the defense, just know that you they have somebody on the back end that's reliable that will be able to cause some havoc for you know other offenses. Um, and then when it comes to when it comes to Jair Brown, I think that, you know, Jair Brown definitely has he has a ton of talent, too. And it, it's just I, I think that the one the one thing that you get in with him is that he's going to be able to play the pass, you know, and he, he plays as a ball hawk. And the fact that you're playing in a league where you got to play against an Ohio State and Ohio State the past couple of years, you know, has been they've been slinging the ball around at will. Um, you want a guy that can be able to uh, to you know pick the ball off when you need it, and I, I think that's that's a perfect fit for them. Now, I, I do also think like the fact that when when it comes to the backups, you have Jonathan Sutherland. I think him at, as, as a backup is is fine. You know, you wouldn't want you wouldn't want Sutherland, and this isn't this isn't to throw Sutherland under the bus. I don't think he's a bad player at all. I just think that. You know, one, he's not he's not a star. He's not as good as these other two guys. You know, he could I mean, he could be a serviceable starter at another school. I just don't think with the two guys that you have ahead of him. I mean, I, I think these are some of the best that you're getting. So, like, I, I think that this is a good situation for them, that they have two high level start, starting safeties. And then I think Sutherland is a backup as a rotational guy. That's perfect. Um and then also Enzo Jennings, I mean, he's a redshirt freshman, uh, you know, haven't seen much of him. But I, I think that, you know, as time goes on, you know, we'll, we'll see what we'll see what he does and see what he's a, he's accomplished. I know in your in your breakdown, you actually said he looked more like a cornerback than we when he was a safety. And, you know, I, I think that's going to come with him just beefing up a little bit as time goes on. So it's not it's not set in stone for him either. So, well, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what these guys can do as backups if one of the two go down. And then also let's talk about Jalen Reed. I mean, Jalen Reed, one, I like his height. He's six feet tall. I mean, he's 213 pounds. And, you know, that that's a good size for a safety. So we want to see what he can what he can do when it comes to being able to be in a, a thumper, you know, I think you get a guy in his position that has that beef um, and he can put the hit on people. I mean, it'll, it'll be very interesting to see what he does as time goes on and how he develops as a player. So, you know, I, I think they have a, they have a pretty good group of safeties this season. Yeah. And, and I would say to, to go back to, to the top here real quick, they they should be fine in coverage at safety, right? As long as as long as Jair Brown and Jaquan Brisker are out there, they should be fine. Like there should there should not be many holes in the deep third of the field. There should not be many holes when they run cloud coverage and one of them has to come down like into the box and, and play in a zone. They should be good when it comes to a pass coverage standpoint. The questions start to come up against the run a little bit with Brown because he's not that big. He needs to add a little bit more weight. He may have added that weight. We haven't seen him since the spring. 
uh, but you want him to be stronger, right? And like you said, he's a he's a ball hawk. You want him playing in the middle of the field and roaming around. You can drop Brisker down to the box end if you want to, because that dude does not miss tackles. Uh, he just, you know, every seemingly every time he got near a running back, a wide receiver, a tight end, a quarterback, he got his hands on them and he got them to the ground. Uh, just absurdly efficient from that standpoint and still very good in coverage. You could that, That's the beauty of Jaquan Brisker, right? If you can play him in either role and he's going to be fine. You can play him as a coverage safety. You can play him dropping him into the box or you can be versatile. You could theoretically put him in the slot, let him play a little man. I think he's got the athleticism to do it. Um, but with Brown, I think you'll see him a little bit more in the box than you would have uh, if, if a Sutherland was starting and he's just not going to play in coverage, right? Like he's not going to, he's not going to drop into the, into the, deep third he's not going to drop into his zone he's not going to line up against a tight end or a running back and, and cover them well uh he, he lacks sort of the lateral quickness to do that what he will do is be an, an absolute thumper in the middle of the field like you said sort of how reed is that's sutherland too he will lay the wood he will make those big hits and he excels on special teams because that that mentality sort of carries over the question i have is do we know that jalen reed can't provide some of the that same ability but with more upside is in, in pass coverage like do we do we know that he would that that Jalen Reed wouldn't be on a or at least near the level of Jonathan Sutherland from that standpoint to the point that he could take some of that playing time and allow himself to develop in coverage a little bit more so I think that's going to be a question that we need to see answered and then of course the last guy you mentioned Enzo Jennings one of the things I wrote that he looks like a corner he's got to add weight like he he again another guy we haven't seen in a bit but He's, he's got to get bigger to play safety. The benefit to looking like that is he's really good in coverage. Uh, and if he adds weight, he, he's going to be a big hitter. He was, uh, you know, he was really, really instinctual player. You can see he's reacting to what's happening uh, in front of him. He's diagnosing it beforehand and, and sort of reacting before it happens. Um, I, I think a highly intelligent safety, a guy that, you know, could be a, a long-term starter at the position, uh, when when Brisker is you know inevitably moves on after this year, um, but yeah, that I mean the safety group's going to be interesting too. Uh, it's it's going to be Brisker, right? We know that much. It, it might be Jair Brown starting next to him. I, I would make that Jair Brown uh, because of the coverage ability. After that, who knows? You know, it's it's another position that's up in the air. But there is one position on this defense where things may be up in the air, but it's not for lack of talent. It's not for lack of ability. It's, it's not for, you know, lack of anything. Uh, and that's cornerback, where I would argue that this is the strongest position group Penn State has defensively and potentially on the field, period. Offensively, defensively, special teams, no matter what you look at it. I think this is going to be by far their best group, and it's going to open things up for their pass rush in a big way that we haven't seen in a while. Yeah, I'm right there with you on that. And I, I think that you know, having Tariq Castro Fields and, and Joey Porter Jr., these are guys that are, you know, freaks of talent. <laughs> and then the fact that you have so much depth at this cornerback position, I mean, this is this is the deepest position that they have, I think, groupment-wise. I mean, I, I just think they have so many guys. I mean, it, it's so funny because I when I read through <laughs> your position breakdown with, with the cornerbacks, I mean – one, you had so many guys that I didn't even see. You you mentioned true freshman Jeffrey Davis, but you didn't even mention Zachy Wheatley. That's how deep this cornerback group is. If Zachy Wheatley isn't even listed on this group, I mean, 
that's that's un I mean that's unconscionable to me the fact that they have that much depth and the fact that Kalen King, Keaton Ellis, Johnny Dixon, all those guys are talented too. And you have so many guys. You could go if if somebody were to spread them out five wide. And of course, personnel wise, you're probably not using five wide receivers, but you have five cornerbacks and can go out there and try to stop the ball and swat it away or pick it off. I mean, every single one of these guys that they have are all talented and they all have something that they could add to this team. And even if they have an injury or two, you know, it's like, it's like that old adage, we don't die, we multiply. And that's a hundred percent with, Penn State's uh, cornerback position looks like you know I, I think this is one of the most talented position groups in the country um, let alone when you say I mean even even on this team so I mean this is this is a great situation for them to be in you know I I don't disagree with you one bit on how you feel about this this uh, position group yeah and the thing with Wheatley is like he might have gotten the nod over Davis, but it's hard to look at Wheatley and not see a safety long term, right? He's he's got that sort of phys- big physical build. He's six two. He's got the frame to add more weight. So so you look at someone like that, and it's like, well, he can play corner. I, I don't doubt that. I just think to maximize him, it might be at safety, uh, and that actually goes for one of the the backups on this team too, uh, and that's Keaton Ellis, who's a state college native. We, you know, covered him for years and. I talked to his whole high school coach and this had to be last year. And, and he said that he thinks he's an NFL safety, right? Matt Lintel, their state highs um, head football coach said that he thinks Keaton Ellis is an NFL safety down the road. And, and I agree with him. He has, he has the size to play corner. He has the athleticism to play corner, but if you add a little weight to him, he becomes a really versatile, really, uh, you know, I don't want to say positionless because it's getting overused at this point, but a guy you can put anywhere in the secondary and, and be relied, he can be relied upon. Uh, and I think that could be a nice little chess piece for Penn State this year. The fact that maybe Keaton Ellis is, is the star. Maybe he's the, the fifth defensive back that, at that star position, right? Like that safety corner hybrid. Uh, maybe maybe he's playing on the outside with someone else slides down into the slot. Maybe he's playing safety and Jair Brown slides down into the slot or, or Jaquan Brisker or whoever. Keaton Ellis kind of allows you to do a whole lot of things. But I think what really allows you to do a whole lot of things is Tariq Castrofields and Joey Porter Jr., right? Like they are – big, they're physical, they're athletic, they are both really good corners. Um, Porter Jr. especially shows a ton of upside um, in his limited playing time this, this far in his career. I say limited, it's not because he's not seeing the field, it's because he hasn't been here all that long, right? Like he's not been at Penn State all that long and hasn't had the chance to to sort of blow up. Uh, like, like Castro Fields has played a ton of football for Penn State. We all know what he is. He struggled with consistency at times. Um, he, he doesn't always track the ball well. He doesn't always make plays on the ball, but he's on his guy's hip. He's, he's in coverage. He's, he's doing the right things. It's just, you know, it's got to be at the, t- at the point of the catch. He's got to be better. And I, I, I think we've, we've seen improvements from him in the past at that. At that. And, you know, as, as a uh, pure, you know, a disruptor from that standpoint, but he's got to do it consistently. Um, and he started to put it together a little more last year and injury bug got him again and he missed more playing time. But if he stays healthy, you know, he's the veteran of this group. He's the best corner of the group and he can really make himself some money in the NFL draft. If he has a big year where he puts it together consistently, Porter Jr. is going to be the next number one corner when Castro Fields is gone. But beyond that, Caitlin King is also sitting right there. It was, it was funny when, 
when I watched those two spring practices in in April, it was it was one of those things we all heard the hype with Kalen King, right? Like we we had been told in numerous media sessions by numerous people, numerous coaches, numerous players, you know, Kalen King's impressive. Kalen King is really impressing. He he looks really good at corner out there for a true freshman. And you hear those things, and it's like, I mean, you know, the the kid enrolled three months ago. How good can he look? What what do you mean he he looks really good? And and then you watch him, and it's like, oh my god, like this this kid's incredible. Uh, and and so, you know, you you might have a a legitimate star in your hands. So I think you know, there's there's a lot to look forward to a corner for Penn State at, at this point. And that's not to mention Johnny Dixon, the transfer from South Carolina, who could could be one of the best uh you, you know one of the best backups that this team has had in corner in a while especially if he plays like he did towards the tail end of South Carolina when he was a starter when he was good enough to be a starter and he might be the fourth corner fifth corner at Penn State but yeah the, this cornerback group is going to be a lot of fun to watch uh the best on the defense I would say uh you know and on what should be a really good defense and you know a, a defense that might have to carry the team this year we'll have more on that next week um, when, when I wrap up the depth chart breakdowns with the offense and defense next week, but that's a week away. And, you know, right now, the big story in college football is what, what we teased at the beginning, what everybody always likes to talk about, especially you and I, and that's potential conference realignment. And it was reported uh, by, by several outlets today, first by the Houston Chronicle, that Oklahoma and Texas are looking to leave the Big 12 for the SEC. And it's since been reported that they don't plan on extending their media rights past 2025, which would open the door for them to leave. We've seen reporting that they're going to petition to join the SEC as early as next week. So I'll give you the floor on this. What do you think the impact of Texas and Oklahoma to the SEC would be? Man, the domino effect is going to be insane. That's all. I mean, that's the biggest thing. Like, it might not just be because everybody's like, oh, yeah, Oklahoma and Texas, like this is huge that they're going to the they're going. I mean, that they could possibly go to the SEC. But I'm thinking, like, what happens to the Big 12? You know, that's that's number one. You know, does West Virginia leave the Big 12 and go to the ACC? Um, does does the Big 12 try to, like, poach other schools that are Texas schools? Like, you know, if I'm the Big 12, do I just tell Houston right now, like, look. You guys can leave the AAC. You guys have the financial stability that you need to leave the AAC. You know, come come leave the AAC. I mean, yeah, leave the AAC, come to the Big 12. SMU, look, I know we had beef in the past. <laughs> we gotta we gotta throw that under a bridge and look, come come over to the Big 12. Same thing with Memphis. Memphis should have been. Memphis always thought might have been good enough to be in a Big 12 as is. And I think that they add a good football slash basketball program to the staff. I mean, to the, to the like conference. And that's just the Big 12. We're not even talking about what could happen if the Big 12 went south. And I think that's something that you mentioned to me prior to this is like, what would happen if the Big 12 just fell apart? And what does that mean for like, you know, the Pac-12, or what does that mean for the for the Big Ten? Does the Big Ten start poaching teams away? You know, does the Big Ten end up getting like Iowa State or something? You know, I I mean, I don't know what you think about it other than, I mean, I, I think me and you have a little bit of a differing opinion on when it comes to what will happen to the Big 12, because I think the Big 12 is going to stay. I just don't think it's going to be a Power Five conference anymore. I think anything is on the table, right? 
I think I think that's absolutely on the table, just not being one of the autonomy five, one of the voting five to sort of control college football and big time college football. I think dis dissolving is on the table because the quickest way for Texas and Oklahoma to get out of the Big 12 is to not have to pay any sort of severance or any sort of fee to leave the conference. And there's no fee to pay if there's no conference that exists. So if everyone bails, like there's nobody to pay. Uh, I think for the Big 12, there are going to be a number of schools that don't know what to do, right? You, you, this is not a Power 5 conference if it's led by Oklahoma State and Baylor. It's just not. Like I don't... I don't mean to offend anyone in basketball, maybe Baylor and Kansas can carry this in Oklahoma state, but not in football. And we know the revenue that football generates. Um, I will say it is also a little disappointing to see the, the basketball side of this uh, with Texas. Texas was getting really good. They just hired Chris Beard. Oklahoma is good. And now we might lose the big 12 as a conference in basketball, which was one of my favorite conferences to watch produce the national champion this year. But I think anything's on the table for the big 12 I also think anything's on the table for the Big Ten and the ACC and the SEC would have their their 16, right, with with Oklahoma and uh, in Texas. And I got to tell you, that's a pretty massive 16. If you talk about Oklahoma, Texas, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, LSU, Auburn, like that's a ridiculous conference. And like the competition would be so insanely high that you could probably guarantee the four playoff spots a year just to the, the SEC. The question is, how does the Big Ten react? How does the ACC react? Does the ACC try to go to another Power Five conference and, and poach a school? Do they try to take a, I don't know, a Penn State from the Big Ten? Do they try to take a school like that from the Big Ten to, to bolster themselves? Does the Big Ten try to take a North Carolina or a Virginia Tech or a Virginia from the ACC. Like, we don't know really anything right now other than Texas and Oklahoma seemingly won out of the Big 12 and seemingly that means the SEC is the landing spot. What we yeah. do know yeah. is that it's never the last. The first domino is never the last. And I think that's going to be the case here. I think whenever this, the, this, this shoe drops, there's going to be another one and then another one. And then another one, and then things will settle and we'll finally figure out where things are. But I, again, I'm not doing any reporting on this. This is just based on historical precedent. This is what we've seen in the past from conference realignment. It feels pretty likely that Texas to Oklahoma isn't the last move that's made from one conference to another if this is what's happening this cycle. And, and truthfully, I mean, what what are some moves that you would like to see? Because I, I know a few that I would like to see if if push came to shove. I think so. I would like to see Kansas join the Big Ten for a basketball standpoint. And, you know, football's not great, but Lance Leopold just got hired there, can turn things around, is is a legitimately very good coach. And then if I were the Big Ten, I would I would try and get North Carolina. Like that would be the the sort of you shift down the coast a little bit more. Um the uh, the football appeal is now there with Mac Brown. They've they've done a great job. The basketball appeal is always going to be there. Um, you know, you can really start to shift down the coast a little more. If I were the ACC, like I said, I think I'd be trying to get Penn State. I don't know how realistic it is, but I would be trying. Like I would make the phone calls. Uh, but outside of that, like West Virginia and Iowa State feel like the obvious choices for the ACC. 
to broaden their horizons a little bit. And the Pac-12, if you're the Pac-12, take your pick, take a few Texas schools, take a few Oklahoma schools, or take an Oklahoma school in Oklahoma State and then call it, right? Like get you a, a, a Baylor in Oklahoma State, a TCU, uh, you know, potentially go get Boise State or BYU and call it a day. Yeah. And, and I think, too, like if this, is, if this is the situation that they're going. I think that the independent schools, I think independence and college I'd football is I'd dead. be totally remiss if I didn't mention the fact that this seems destined that Notre Dame is going to go to the ACC in football, right? Like this, Yeah. again, no reporting, but I mean, they're already a partial member of the ACC. Like that feels predestined at this point. That, that, that always felt inevitable. Yeah. This feels like the 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 straw that breaks breaks the camel's back for the Notre Dame. Yeah, and and if you had a Big Ten, you would prefer. I, I think like, you know, everybody would prefer to see Notre Dame in a Big Ten, just geographically speaking. But conferences aren't based off of geography anymore. Like geography doesn't exist when it comes to college football at this point, because people are making so much money that it does not matter. They will travel to the ends of the earth to play in the same conference as another team. Now, one thing I will say is that I would love to see, and I know it's not, you You told me that this is very unlikely and it probably won't happen, but I would love to see, you know, I would love to see the Big Ten poach Pitt in West Virginia, but I know that's probably not going to, I mean, that's probably not going to happen. But I also think that, like, if it were to happen, now you got a situation where I think Maryland, Penn State, Pitt, West Virginia, all those schools kind of have beef with one another. It's going to make it a little bit more fun. Everybody likes to hit. I mean, everybody likes to punch Pitt, right? You know, everybody likes to beat up on Pitt and, you know, make fun of their fans and stuff. And, and, and center, I mean, and, and yeah, in the central Pennsylvania, you know, so that venom that I think would, that would be generated from, you know, having a backyard brawl, and then you have Maryland, Maryland, West Virginia is a, is a historic rivalry. You know, I know all too well about that. I remember the Pat White and Steve Slayton years uh, where, and Tavon Austin, don't get me wrong. That's, he's a Baltimore legend. Uh, but all of, I remember every single one of those guys and, you know, the, the fights that they had with Maryland, I just think that would be fun to have that in the conference. Um along with having Penn State and then Penn State, West Virginia, I couldn't imagine how packed a stadium would be for Penn State, West Virginia. You know, I think that would be in, incredibly fun. But, yeah, it, you know, we never know. It's it's the – to me, what would, what would stop that from happening is you look at the last time the Big Ten expanded. Now, admittedly, that, that was under Jim Delaney, not Kevin Warren. Things could be totally different this time. Uh, so, you know, it's new leadership. We don't know how it would go. But with when they added Rutgers and Maryland, they were tapping in two new markets, right? Like they're adding Maryland for basketball and getting into, you know, a little bit more of the Mid-Atlantic where they really just had Penn State. With Rutgers, they were trying to get into the New York market. They were trying to get into New Jersey a little more. I don't know that West Virginia or Pitt adds anything to that footprint. I don't know that they're bringing viewers to the Big Ten Network. I don't know if they're able to sell the Big Ten Network to more areas because those areas probably have it already because of Penn State, because of Ohio State. There's a little bit of overlap there that makes it a little, you know, you're, you're not really broadening your footprint. Like when, when the SEC is about to add Texas and Oklahoma to, sure, Texas A&M, but I mean, come on, Texas A&M is Texas or Oklahoma. That's why they're about to vote no to this, right? Because like, they know that they're, yeah. they're about to go back to being little brother. Uh, 
But I think if if you can, I mean, do you, do you go to like Boston College maybe? Because I think the Boston market would be that Boston market. But yeah, I, I don't think it's the worst idea in the world. You know, I maybe Boston College in North Carolina. I, I I think the I think the real price here for the Big Ten would be probably North Carolina. Like everyone will point to like, well, why aren't they getting in on Texas? Why aren't they trying? Why isn't the Big Ten trying to add Texas? Why isn't the Big Ten trying to add massive school X, whether Notre Dame, whatever. I think if you can get North Carolina and Kansas one, the basketball in Big Ten would in the Big Ten would be incredible. But the football would add an up-and-coming program in North Carolina that has arguably QB1 in the country this year in Sam Howell and a program that should be better moving forward in Kansas because it has one of the the better uh, sort of mid-major type coaches in Lance Leopold who, who was excellent at Buffalo for years. So yeah, I, I think it's got to be about broadening the footprint with the Big Ten. It's got to, it's got, it's called sports. It's always about the money, right? Like this is going to be whatever, whatever helps the Big Ten make the most money. Maybe that's staying at, maybe it's staying at fourteen teams. That doesn't feel like the the right decision, but maybe it is the decision. You know, um, I don't think we can rule anything out. I will say, reckless speculation aside, fun conversation aside, this is going to be so fascinating to follow, because. Conference realignment always takes these twists and turns where you mm-hmm. think something's done and then it flips on its head and suddenly someone else is going elsewhere. Uh, like you said, Notre Dame made so much sense for the Big Ten for years, and now they're a partial member of the ACC. Right. So, so we, I mean, uh, you, you never know with UCF, too. I think UCF would be a perfect fit in the ACC, yeah. too. You yeah, know, and I, think, and I think, like, when we talked about Memphis getting poached by the Big 12, um, you know, number one, I think you want to get into that Tennessee market. And I think Memphis is a nice market for the big 12 to get into. So, I mean, if they, cause I, if, if I'm Memphis, I'm thinking about it. I'm like, look, it's more cache in the big 12 than it is in AAC. So like, you know, yeah, I, I mean, it's just a matter I, of is, is the big 12, is the big 12 better than the AAC at that point though, if they don't have Texas and Oklahoma? I mean, probably, but do they like? Is it really that much? I still better? think they are. I, it's. I, th- I, th- I think. I think they are just based off of the fact that I think Baylor, Baylor could be anything that they want to be. <laughs> you know, I, I truthfully believe that. And if you if you were to get a Houston to join on board with you, and a SMU, I think those two schools are they're building back. I mean, well, one I think Houston's always been a talented program. It's just that like. You know, guys like Derek King <laughs> went to Miami, you know, yeah. and that, that hurts you. But I don't think Derek King goes to Miami if, you know, Houston's in the Big 12. You know, I mean, if 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 they were in the Big 12 with Oklahoma and Texas now, I think it would, it would still be a little bit different having Derek King play for a Houston team that didn't play against Oklahoma and Texas. Right. So yeah. I don't I don't know. I, I still think the money's still there. I think the question not to the same extent. I think the question we have to answer is sort of uh, so the money might still be there, but is it still there to keep everyone else intact? Right. Like, let's say you want to add SMU, Houston, or Memphis, or two of those three, or all three, or whatever they want to do. Is it still worthwhile for Kansas to hang around if the Big Ten or the ACC comes calling? Right. Like, are they going to make more money in those conferences or in this reconfigured Big 12? So then if then if Kansas decides that they can make more money in a different conference and they leave, well, then you got to replace Kansas, too. 
and then maybe Iowa State yeah. decides like they can make more money elsewhere. So that's sort of how it devolves into nine, right? Like as each right. of the teams are wanted by other, like if a major, if eight of the ten teams of the Big Twelve or even six of them are wanted by other Power Five conferences, it's going to be tough for the Big Twelve to maintain any sway. Oh, yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I just think like if the Big Twelve, if the Big Twelve really is serious about this, like you're poaching from bigger markets, you know, you're, you're poaching like these AAC schools from bigger markets. Like you're getting Memphis, that's a nice sized market. Houston's a, I mean, Houston's a massive market. Um, and then of course SMU's in Dallas, so you're getting three major markets. I mean, of course you still hit, you already hit tech. I, I mean that Dallas market and kind of Houston, but you know, you're losing, <laughs> you're losing Texas, you know, you got to replace it somehow. And I think, you know, if I'm, if I, I mean, somehow, I, I don't know what'll happen, but like, I know Arkansas is probably in a situation like I'm glad we didn't go. We didn't get kicked, expelled out of the, <laughs> we didn't get expelled out of the SEC somehow because now they have like their real like, you know, most of their rivals back from the big eight. Um, yeah, no, so, well, that's the thing, too. Like, did does the ACC or Big Ten come calling to some of these SEC teams who might be disgruntled? Missouri and it's been reported already that Missouri and Texas A&M are going to vote no to adding them uh, Texas and Oklahoma. I mean, so, Missouri would be a perfect fit, I think. I think Missouri and 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 Texas A&M, Texas A&M could easily go to, I mean, one, they could go back to the Big 12, but I don't think that's going to make them uh, much better as a program. But do Texas A&M and Arkansas want to, or, or Texas, A&M, Texas A&M and Missouri, excuse me, want to bail because of it? Who knows? Like maybe, maybe that's the outcome here. Maybe it's a two-for-two two trade. Uh, I think this is going to be yeah. fantastic. I think it's going to be fantastic I mean, to follow. I know you were looking yeah. forward to it. Uh, it is, listen, it's been eight years now, I think, since we've had major conference realignment. This is one of the most fun discussions to have in college football because for all of the, the reporting, which, again, is accurate, uh, for all of the, the, the fun speculation, it could go so many ways. All it takes is the first domino, and it seems like we've got the first domino. So I'm excited for it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to follow. I'm excited to talk about it on here. Uh, you know, we, we've got real football coming, but speculative football is fun too. Uh, so we'll, we'll keep diving into this as new stuff breaks, as, especially as it impacts the Big Ten and Penn State, of course. But again, this is the landscape of, of college football is about to change. Uh, and Texas and Oklahoma may not seem like Penn State news, but it is when you consider that there are going to be ramifications that, that trickle down uh, there could be teams added added to the Big Ten. There could be teams that leave the Big Ten. You just never know. Uh, it's going to be crazy. It's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Um, but that's going to do it for this week's episode of the Lions Lair. You can find all of Kyle and I's work, as always, at centerdaily.com. You can subscribe to the Center Daily Times at centerdaily.com backslash sports podcast. Uh, we'd greatly appreciate it if you did that to read our work. You can rate, review, subscribe this podcast on your podcast player of, choo- of your choice. Uh, should be available on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, you name it, it's on there. Um, follow Kyle and I on Twitter. I'm at John Sauber. Kyle is at Kyle J. Andrews underscore. Uh, like I said, read all of our work. We're going to have a lot of stuff coming up, a lot of exciting things, especially you know Penn State recruiting, Penn State Media Days. This next week is going to be a lot of fun to cover. Uh, but thank you for tuning in and have a great day.